I'm Cynthia Murphy. And I'm Georgia Bowers. And this is Delete My Browser History. Oh, again. Again. <laughs> again. Are you fed up with it yet? <laughs> We've had really quite an interesting day, haven't we? It has been, yeah. The amount it's of just... audio files I'm going to have to stitch together. Is <laughs> but you're first, so I'm going to drink my coffee and eat my Turkish delight and listen. C'est moi. Yeah. C'est moi. You, uh, you drink your coffee. I've never had Turkish delight. Can you guess why? Because of Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. <laughs> no way because so, yeah. evil is that why yeah i don't want to get possessed <laughs> oh it's so nice i've never what does it taste like roses and chocolate mm. it's like rose flavored chocolate it's lovely yeah it's an acquired taste i think some people hate it right okay well i'll i'll, I'll give it a bit of thought and then decide try the cadbury's version okay because it's right it's quite a mild version is it yeah and you can taste the chocolate a lot okay so i'm talking to you about old-fashioned wisdom and superstitions oh okay because mark the wicked because it's about a witch and like she lives in a house with her grandmother and her mother who are also witches and they live in the middle of like some woods and stuff and they're very she she's taught to embrace nature and treat you know your surroundings with respect and stuff like that so there's I did quite a bit of reading up on like old-fashioned sort of old um, countryside wisdom and and stuff like that and where all of these weird sayings and superstitions that we have come from so I, I did actually manage to cram a lot of them into the book I don't know whether people would have noticed whether they were there or not. So I've got a few here that were in the book, but I've also got some extra ones, which I thought were quite cool. So I'm just going to go through this for you. So, yes, we're starting with magpies. Oh, OK. Yeah. And actually, at the beginning of the book, she does sit and talk to a couple of magpies because she knows what they mean. And I think we all know this is quite a common one in Britain. I think I think we say this might be different for you because I've read that in Manchester, there's a couple of extra lines, but we'll see. So when you see a magpie, obviously you say one for sorrow, two for joy, three for a girl, four for a boy, five for silver, six for gold, seven for a secret never to be told. Do you have any extras on top of that? I don't think extras, but I've got an alternative. What's yours? One for sorrow, two for joy, three for a letter, four to cry. Oh. Five for silver, six for gold, seven for a secret, never to be told. But my mum told me that one, so I don't know if that's an Irish one. Well, apparently in America and Ireland, they say one for sorrow, two for mirth, three for a funeral, four for a birth, five for heaven, six for hell, seven's the devil, his own self. Oh. I read in, in Manchester, there's additional lines. Eight for a wish, nine for a kiss, ten for a surprise. You should be careful not to miss. Eleven for health, twelve for wealth, thirteen beware it's the devil himself. So he gets another mention, the devil. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's pretty cool, isn't it? So, and that kind of references the superstition's origin. So apparently the magpie was the only bird not to raise its song to comfort Jesus when at the crucifixion. The magpie was the only bird that didn't sing. I mean, honestly. (laughs) Scottish legend I was like, I'm not doing it just because everybody else is doing it, right? <laughs> um, my own Scot- bird. <laughs> I know. Scottish legend has it that a drop, there's a drop of the devil's blood under the magpie's tongue. Oh. And to counteract its evil, what do you do if you see a magpie on its own? What do you do? Well, I don't do it, but I know some people salute. Yep. You can salute or dot your cap and ask it how its wife is. 
because oh. apparently by asking about its wife in the hope of mentioning the second Magi, so it, the sorrow goes from sorrow to joy because it's oh, one for sorrow, two for joy by mentioning the wife, you see. So that's my magpies for you. Bees, bees feature at the beginning because she swallows a bee, doesn't she, Matilda? And uh, and then re- and then one of her enemies regurgitates loads of bees. It's lovely. But bees are believed to be messengers of, of the gods and should be kept informed of all goings on in the household, especially if anybody has died. If any of the fam- family members have died, you should go and tell the bees. And that's what um, Matilda's grandmother goes and speaks to the bees every morning. There is know what's book, happening. Isn't there? There's a recent book called something like Tell the Bees. Is there? Yeah. We'll have to have a look and see if we can share it. Carry on and I'll Google Okay. Also, uh, Matilda has a pet goat. I didn't want to give her a cat. Just wanted to give her something, you know, be a bit different. So goats are generally considered bad, bad. Um, Aww. Goats are uh, so- I know. I think they're cute. I'm, I'm toying with the idea of getting a goat. Oh, but in, med- <laughs> in medieval times, Satan was believed to take on the form of a goat. Satan gets a lot of mention in these little superstitions and all this wisdom. So he, he keeps popping up. There was an account from 1335 about two women in Toulouse who were accused of having sexual relations with the devil in the form of a goat. Oh, no. Um, I know. Not good. Next, we have toads. So toads are generally considered not good because, uh, again, there's something sort of connected to witchcraft and witches. So this is from the 17th and 18th centuries. They were believed to be familiars. So if one came into your house, that would not be a good thing. And they, they could hurt you. And also witches were thought to be able to turn into toads and sort of creep into your house undetected. So if you find a toad in your house, you have to move it very, very carefully because you don't want to upset the witch. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, and that's in the book. She's, a little toad comes in at the beginning and her grandmother sweeps it out carefully. To dream of a lizard means you have a secret enemy. So in dream analysis and in folklore, animals and birds are linked to, to human attributes. So lizards were associated with trickery because they could camouflage themselves and also they could like shed their tail if they were caught. Yeah. So now robins. Now robins are like well loved i think everyone loves robins don't they i think because of christmas are you gonna ruin it (laughs) no no i'm not i'm gonna tell you why everyone loves loves robins so much so the roots are in christian folklore so they were one of the birds to soothe jesus when he was on the cross so they did sing for him good old robins oh i bet my dad hate robins like that's it such a but they also (laughs) They also tried to remove the thorns from Jesus's head, and that's how they got a red. Oh, the blood stained their their feathers. Oh, um, another another version is that the robin noticed that the fire was going out in the stable where Jesus was born and found the flames with its wings. And so Mary rewarded it with its red breast to say thank you. Either way, robins are considered, you know, good, really. People like robins. And it would be extremely unlucky for you to kill a robin, apparently. William Blake wrote, a robin red breast in a cage puts all heaven in a rage. Repercussions vary, but if you kill a robin, your hand will shake for eternity. Oh, okay. Yeah, and apparently in Yorkshire, if a farmer was to kill a robin, his cows would, their milk would turn red. So, yeah, don't kill a robin, folks. Don't want to do that. 
rabbits rabbits um, are considered to have the power of second sight because they're born with their eyes open so there was a little rabbit bit in them um, in my book where she sees all these dead rabbits everywhere do you mean like some animals are born and their eyes haven't opened for yeah weeks? right okay yeah so that's why they're, they're considered to, to have second sight so they can warn you if 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 evil people are near We've got right. So that's a couple of animal ones, and this this is this is about uh, tying a knot in a handkerchief. So it works as a charm to protect the carrier. So people, I think people know about tying knots in things to remember things, but apparently you could tie a knot in a handkerchief and it would protect you. So since about the 14th century, people believed that demons and the devil were attracted to the intricate nature of a knot. Oh, I thought you meant the handkerchiefs. <laughs> I love a handkerchief. Um, <laughs> Neville just loves a handkerchief. <laughs> um, and they, yeah, so they like the com- the complexity of a knot. So they'd be distracted by that and forget what evil they were doing. So that's why it's good to knot the handkerchief. Oh, okay. Also, they work on vampires. This is one of, I, I have heard this before, but throwing, apparently vampires like knots like they just can't they just can't resist a knot and apparently they like counting things as well so if you were to like someone yeah well yeah apparently some people like leave a colander at the door because the vampire has to count all the holes and if they lose they have to start again yeah um well if you threw a fishing net over a vampire's grave it would take him so long to undo all the knots that he would hopefully then get caught in the sunlight oh yeah so um owls or another one, right? So basically, don't look at or listen or listen to owls because it just none of it is good. Um, seeing an owl in the daytime is bad luck. Seeing one swoop around the house or sitting on the roof of your house means that somebody in your house is about to die. <laughs> Looking in an owl nest means you'll be unhappy for the rest of your life. There's regional variations on this. If you hear an owl hooting it in the night it means a female has just lost her virginity a pregnant woman who hears an owl will will give birth to a girl but if you hear an owl when your baby is being born the baby will be ill-fated so it's just not good all round but the way to counteract any of these things is to take all your clothes off and turn them inside out and put them back on again if you put something on backwards you're supposed to leave it on backwards i've heard about yeah if you put a t-shirt on back uh inside out or something and people say it's good luck I don't yeah, know. Yeah, anyway. Um, got some extra ones here. Water drunk from a human skull will cure epilepsy. So it has to be water drawn from a spring in the nighttime, obviously, and it and drunk from the skull of a man who's been killed. So only a male skull will do do the trick. This was from a book called Natural History from AD 77, apparently. This guy, Pliny the Elder, or Pliny the Elder, he wrote that. And then, but it was in the 1600s. You could say this guy, Pliny the Elder. Guy. <laughs> Do you, have you never heard of him before? No, I haven't. Like a Roman. Was he God? <laughs> I don't know about him, but he comes up again later. I've never heard of him before. Really? No. No, there was an elder and a younger, and one of them wrote about Vesuvius, which is how we know so much about Vesuvius and Pompeii. Oh, look at me. So stupid. My um, history nerd. Apparently, it was common to take moss from a dead man's skull to stop a nosebleed or for a headache. Who tried these things? I know. Do you know what? I mean, there's so many of these. I reckon that it was probably just like the village doctor or whatever, people coming to him being like, I'm ill. And he'd just be like, oh, (laughs) just go. go. It's like having a child just trying to distract them. (laughs) 
Medicine from the derived from the human body was very popular in the 18th century and um, advocates include, included Francis Bacon. He was really into, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So touching a corpse for good luck. Have you heard that one? No. So this was from when, I mean, this is just very odd. I think it's from those times where people were just willing to do anything to make sure they survived the winter, basically. when so This is when they kept corpses at home. So touching the forehead would release people from the fear of death. And also it meant you wouldn't get haunted by the corpse. If you touch the hand, it would cure warts by passing on the essence of the wart to the corpse. Okay. Um, I don't know what body part. Oh, no, it does say hemorrhoids would be treated by applying the sweat from a new corpse onto yourself. It doesn't say where you put the sweat. Uh, uh. Yeah, I put where though? On your body. Um, <laughs> also... Is it? Oh, I like you'll like this. If a nose of a corpse started to bleed, a murderer was in the room. If the suspected was made to touch the nose and it bled again, it would confirm he was the murderer. Oh, yeah. yeah, they're really into their corpses. Victorians, man. Yeah, Just. yeah. This idea of never speaking ill of the dead that originated from the ancient Greeks and then it was translated into latin so just basically don't say anything unless it's good and that was because again before funeral parlors and stuff dead bodies were kept at home and they really believed that the spirits hung around so they wouldn't want to upset anybody and right. get haunted basically uh -oh. um so yeah that's that's why you say you never speak ill of the dead and yeah so spiders i've got spider a bit on spiders here now you have to you shouldn't kill spiders because they're they're sort of considered good to have around for practical reasons i think again that thing of you know having spiders eating your eating flies and anything that could kind of ruin your produce or your crops or what have you if there's a spider's web on a boat that would stop it from sinking as long as you don't break the spider's web if you sweep out a spider from your house you're sweeping away the good luck oh. is it pliny the elder I don't know how you say it. I would say Pliny. He, he said he said that spiders' webs mixed with vinegar and oil were used for healing fractures and cuts. So handy all round. Kind of makes sense because they're for some purposes. And also, I read that it's unlucky to kill an ant as it's said to embody the soul of an unbaptized child. I've never heard that one before. Very weird. And then. I thought I'd finish with cats and dogs, those classic domestic animals. So cats, I mean, where do you even start with cats? Yeah. Believed to suck the breath from children. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember my grandmother saying that to me. Really? Yeah, yeah. And not just children. They believe that they did it to, to grown men as well. But, I mean, I, I think that's just because of, like, what cats are like. And they're just like, oh, there's a warm body. I'll just sit on it. Yeah. And just get in its face because that's how they behave, isn't it? And they're believe, obviously believed to be witches familiar cats are and they could creep into people's houses and suck their breath, presumably. Okay. And because they're, I know, they're linked to witchcraft. So apparently they prefer stale air. Okay. That's a witchy thing. A cat with three colours in its fur would be protection against fire. If you kick a cat, you'll get rheumatism. Um, the devil will haunt you if you kick a cat. No, if you kill a cat, sorry. That's fair. I know, getting cure for rheumatism and death mixed up here. And then a cat's purr is the sound of a ghost, which I quite liked. What, like a ghost is trying to talk to you through the cat? Yeah, or is it just that, yeah, maybe that it's trying to tell you a message from beyond or yeah it's trying to talk through the cat oh and then finally we have dogs dogs that howl through the night are predicting a death is that what is that what loli does does she howl through the night she doesn't howl no 
she'll she might bark if she hears a dog bark outside but it normally takes quite a lot to rouse her <laughs> so she'd have to be really like she lowly will bark at anything downstairs as soon as we're in bed if like somebody tried to break in you think lowly would go mad she just sits there looking at the door like <laughs> what's going on yes sir useless and yeah apparently though the dogs were howling before caesar's murder apparently a dog digging in the earth is seen to be preparing a grave does she like digging oh she loves digging yeah yeah if you were bitten by a there you go then she's gonna she's planning on burying a body underneath (laughs) under the sofa Yeah, if you were bitten by a rabid dog, you should eat the grass from a churchyard and apply the dog's fried hair in oil mixed with rosemary to the wound. That sounds like it's going to work perfectly. Again, that's another one where they were just like, oh, yeah, just go to the the graveyard. Don't go to the back. Yeah. Um, And hanging dried dog's tongue around your neck would cure an ache. Oh, no. Yeah, so there you go. It's just a few, few little interesting old bits of yeah i love stuff like that i love um, i love the different regional ones so where yeah. you've got like the same basic one and then how it changes depending on yeah, where you go because i always wonder where did so where did the initial you know if things like this aren't real where did it come from how does everybody know something in a slightly different way yeah it had to come from somewhere didn't it yeah definitely anyway there you go ah thank you very much Right, mine's a bit of a historical conspiracy secret society one today. So in Win, Lose, Kill, Die, there is a secret society and it's kind of linked in with schools and universities and things like that. And it's very much influenced by the Skull and Bones Society. Skull and Bones is a supposed secret society at Yale University. It's also known as the Order, Order 322 and the Brotherhood of Death. So Yale is like, over here, we would say they were red brick universities, wouldn't we? Like, you know, the the kind of prestigious universities like Oxford and Cambridge. And over there, they're called Ivy League. So you've got Ivy League schools and they're very prestigious, really hard to get into, very expensive. And a lot of them are in the kind of oldie worldy bits of America. So like Connecticut, the East Coast, where all the English and Europeans came over from and settled like when they kind of, you know, went and destroyed America as it was. So this is in Connecticut. So Connecticut's known for being quite moneyed and quite old school. If you've ever seen Gilmore Girls, that kind of you know situation so skull and bones is meant to be an undergraduate society and it's known for its powerful alumni and various conspiracy theories so it's one of the big three societies at yale so you've got one called scroll and key and one called wolf's head and i didn't look into them because i didn't want to fall down a hole but i might do in the future <laughs> It's known that it's there and its headquarters are like right there on campus and everyone knows what they are and you walk past them all the time, yet it's completely secret. So Mm. it's just known that there is this society. Every year, 15 members are chosen and their names are actually published in like the yearbook or the newspaper or whatever at Yale. But that's it. So you know who has been in it, but they will never, ever talk about it. It's comes from the society's alumni association which is called the russell trust association have you just sneezed yes sorry i sent you my sneezes through the internet (laughs) (laughs) 
So it's called the Russell Trust Association and because it's named after a guy with the last name Russell. But then I started thinking about in the UK, some of our big universities are run by the Russell Group. So like Manchester University is owned by the Russell Group. And from what I could see, there was no link at all. But mm, I don't know. It seems quite, okay. I've put, hmm, <laughs> in brackets. Um so in America, the Russell Trust Association—it is a coincidence, isn't it? Like you know. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It says they're not connected. I I don't know if I believe that. This is one when I was googling it, I started to worry that like, oh my god, what if? You know, yeah, what if I'm looking into things I shouldn't be? What if I'm going too deep? The Russell Trust Association owns the real estate that. Skull and Bones owns and it oversees the membership. So basically they're the guys who they're like the the board of governors type thing. The society is informally known as Bones and the members are known as Bones men, members of the order or initiated to the order. Not boners then? Not boners. Maybe after you hear some of the stuff that they have to maybe do to, yeah, it that might be more accurate. <laughs> So there is evidence of its founding by Mr. Russell. I've not written his first name. Sorry. And friends after a disagreement about the Phi Beta Kappa Awards in 1832. So basically all these like fraternity sorority things, they were in a fraternity. They disagreed with something. So they broke off to set up their own society. So that's 1832. So this is quite old. So then in 1871, there was a book by someone called Lyman Bag called Four Years at Yale. And it says, one great enigma, which college gossip never tires of discussing, is the Skull and Bone Society. Mm-hmm. So as early as 1871, it was like this real point of gossip and you know everybody knew what it was but nothing was ever confirmed so it selects new members every spring it's called um tap day so in my head i've got them walking around the campus and being like tapped on the shoulder but i don't know if that's how they do it or i don't know if that's how maybe they used to do it and then now it's done differently that's been since 1879. So I think you can only get chosen if you're in your final year of your undergraduate. That would be your fourth year in America, wouldn't it? So you're kind of 21, 22 years of age, you might get tapped. Tap day did not include women until the early 1990s. 92. Shock horror. I know. So this is why they're called Bones Men. 92 women started being included. And like I said, 15 members a year. And it's people who are viewed as campus leaders or notable figures. So if you went and you were, you know, part of a wealthy or famous family already, you would probably be chosen. And they're chosen in their final year. So maybe some of what they've achieved on campus might have been taken into consideration as well. You just yeah, like to think it mentioned it like football players and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So if you were like a bit of a big man on campus, you've mm. done a lot for the university, potentially you were chosen as well. They have their own premises, their own hall where the meetings take place. And that's known as the tomb because it doesn't have any windows. Mm-hmm. And that was built in three phases. So it started in 1856 and then it was added on to in 1903 and then added on to again in 1912. So it's really big. And mm. then they also own a place called Deer Island, which they kind of used as like a summer camp from what I could see. And one quote I found, it said, where they would get together and rekindle old friendships. So, yeah, who knows what they were doing there. Hmm, um, interesting. 
most of its history is limited to white Protestant males. Again, that's shocking. Yeah, <laughs> the, the kind of people who were wealthy and influential there at the time. Yale was very exclusionary and Skull and Bone was even more so. So it didn't pride itself on being inclusive. It was exactly the opposite. Mm. Members were given nicknames. Um, some of these members passed the nickname on to another person and some just had one that they kept on their own. For example, Long Devil was often given to the tallest member and they would take some from literature like Hamlet. And the members' names were not secret. So you would know a member's name and maybe their nickname. That wasn't a secret, but all of the practices were. So even now, don't really know what goes on. There are some famous alumni. So George Bush Sr. and Jr. were both in it. The CEO of Pan America Airways, Supreme Court Justices, a US Secretary of War, Secretary of Defence, the founder of Time, Life and Fortune magazines and Sports Illustrated magazine, the co-founder of Morgan Stanley Bank and the founder of FedEx. So wow. Yeah, they, it's got, you know, these guys went on to do quite well for themselves. In the 2004 election, both the Democratic and Republican nominees were both alumni and they were asked about it. So Bush in his autobiography said, it's so secret, I can't say anything more. And his running mate, John Kerry, when he was asked about it, said, said what can you say about it? And he said, not much because it's a secret. <laughs> so they don't deny it. They just say, can't talk about it anymore. Can't talk about it. Yeah. There is a bit of a reputation for like naughtiness and doing bad deeds. So they have something called crooking, which is a reputation for stealing keepsakes. And I say keepsakes in inverted commas because keepsakes were things like the stolen skulls of Martin von Buren, who was the eighth president of the USA, Geronimo, who was um, an Apache leader, and Pacho Villa, the general of the Mexican Revolution. Apparently, they were just, these skulls travelled around different societies and they would go and steal them off each other. There are loads of conspiracies around them. So things like Global World Control, Illuminati Branch, that they control the CIA. And you can kind of see where that comes from because so many powerful people come from it. All that's interesting.com says that some of the conspiracies include that they're behind the Kennedy assassination, that they took part in occult practices, black magic and animal sacrifice. So like I said, there's not loads of facts. Um, Atlas Obscura Places talks about the premises, the tomb. So it's in full sight. It's on the high street. It's at the entrance to Yale. So it's almost like shouting, I'm here, but you can't come yeah. in. It's windowless. It's quite bare. It looks a bit like a mausoleum. It's very symmetrical. It's sandstone and People say that they've broken in and seen the insides and they say that it is known for its death decor. So skulls, skeletons, real and fake, coffin. I mean, parts of my house look like that. <laughs> so, you know, I've got skulls everywhere in here. Deer Island, where they go for their get-togethers, a member actually kind of came out and said it's kind of a dump. It's really run down. It's just the prestige of going there that gets us all there and a few years ago, some photographs leaked on Facebook of a party there, some like college kids. So I don't know if they were linked to the society or not. To be initiated, according to Ranker, you allegedly had to lie naked in a coffin. So in some versions, the coffin was then carried through a crypt while Bonesmen chanted, reborn, reborn. And in others, they had to lie naked in the coffin and confess their personal sexual history to the rest of the group. Oh. There's things that they had to mud wrestle. 
I don't know why. There's rumors that they get a gift of $15,000 when they leave um, and a guaranteed lifetime of financial security. When I did Win, Lose, Kill, Die, you can kind of see the, the links with Jewel and Bone, my society in there. I mean, lots of people have said they've broken in. Lots of people have said that they have tried to sneak in and been chased away, but nobody's ever come out and said exactly what happens. Yeah, it's been going for nearly 300 years. Wow. No, nearly 200 years. Well, they're obviously sacrificing sophomore girls to demons in there, aren't they? Well, this is, yeah. I mean, I didn't find anything about that, but it is very Buffy. Yeah. Kind of. Um, there's actually a film called The Skulls, which is based on them, which I've not seen, but I have heard of. And that's very much based on this. And Lee Bardugo wrote Ninth House, which apparently is set at like a fictional version of Yale. And they've got bonesmen who define the future by reading the entrails of live humans, which sets off loads of ghosts and demons at Yale. I did not know that's what that book was about, but I will now be reading it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, it's really weird, isn't it? It is. It's amazing how they've kept it all so secret. How You know how nobody's just come out and gone, yeah, this is just what... Yeah. It's... Uh... Do you think that the rival university, Harvard, has a less an even lesser known society because they're just what? rivals and everything, aren't they? Well, I've got down here, like, there's another group who called themselves the Order of the File and Claw, and they named themselves that because they said they'd broken into the tomb and that's what they'd used to break in. So then they just set themselves up as another gang of guys. Hmm. So, yeah. Oh, it's weird, isn't it? Very. And then they just look after each other as they go into society. That's it. It's just a big boys club, isn't it? It's yeah. just a big... Um, I mean, I could have gone into the people and but 15 a year for 200 years. It's it's quite a lot. It adds up. Yeah. So but there's a photo that I'll put on the Instagram and it's an old class of, you know, skull and bone. And when I was reading it, they were like, look at what time the clock's set to look at this, look at that. And apparently all these things in the pictures are done for like they're all secret messages. So anyone from the society will be able to look at that picture and they'll know why. Wow. Been done that way. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. I did think the initiation didn't sound that bad because you hear some of the into like weird, uh, not sorority, what they're called. Fraternities, yeah. Yeah, fraternities are like really awful. But I think I could lay in a coffin for a bit. <laughs> Naked. Yeah. That's your sexual history. <laughs> Just a normal Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Excellent. Well, thank you. You're welcome. I will yeah. see you next week. Yeah, see you soon. Bye. Bye. Browser history deleted.